But we're in a series called 24-7. It's about being a 24-7 Christian. But let me give you a heads up. What I'm about to share with you, many people, actually most people don't know. What I'm about to share, most people don't know. And yet it is a vital truth that it's not okay not to know. It's not good for you not to know. It's not good for those you know not to know. And so I'm going to say most people don't know what we're talking about. I also want to say this. uh, I'm hoping many of you are going to say, but I knew it. I knew that. And, And that would be awesome. But tonight, In this time of sharing with you, I can't say, well, you all know this because I'm a little concerned you all don't know this. By the way, as I'm going, if I say something you know, put it in the chat, put it in the comment. Say, I knew that. I'd love to hear that. But if you don't know, put that there too. It's not to put guilt on you. It's not to belittle you. Oh, my goodness, no. But I want you to know this truth, and it helps me to know you're gaining it. What is it? that people don't know. What is it that Jesus taught and taught clearly that many are not aware of? Well, that's what we're going to talk about now in the midst of a series that talks about what it really means to be a disciple. Now, we call this 24-7 because it's based on Exodus 24-7, which is the place that the Bible teaches is the place of the Asah Shema. Uh, the Asah Shema are Hebrew words, and it's a very powerful biblical principle that leads to amazing promise. And the word Asah means to do with all your might. The word Shema means then I'll understand. So by doing, we understand. By the way, only by doing do you understand. Uh, I could tell you, I use this all the time. I could tell you how incredible a double-double is from in and out uh, For all of you who don't live in California, <laughs> I'm so sorry for you because a double-double is a double cheeseburger like no other. And people get in long lines. In in Denver, Colorado, people got in an 18-hour line for a double-double. And I could tell you how good it is, but it's not till you smell it, not till you touch it, but even more, not till you what? Take a bite. Then you go, that's why it's so good. Only in the doing, in the biting in, do you understand. Only in doing what God tells you, do you understand. In Exodus 24, 7, I'm going to give you a literal translation. says, Then Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of all the people. And they said, look at that word, all. All that the Lord has spoken, we will assah, or do with all our might. And we will shema or understand completely. So that's what I want you to know. So only in doing do you understand. Only in living out discipleship will you understand what it means to be a disciple. I could teach this to you, and I will teach it to you, but only when you begin to live it will it be the opening for you to a relationship with Jesus, a life with Jesus, and an experience with Jesus where you now live a life of the great and the mighty thing. And so God wants you to experience that. Jesus declared, I'm going to review this with you. This is a review right now. Jesus declared that a disciple is based on three L's, the three L's of discipleship. And what are they? Their lordship, likeness, and love. Uh, we find the first two L's in Matthew 10, 24 and 25, where it says a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. Now that speaks to lordship. 
Uh, we're not above Jesus. He's above us. We are not in charge of Jesus. He's in charge of us. We don't tell. We don't tell Jesus what to do. You don't tell Jesus what to do. He tells you and I what to do. He's our Lord. So it comes down to lordship, doing everything he says, all he says, because all that he's called us to do, we will assah with all our might. And then we'll understand. So lordship. But then it goes on to say in verse 25, it is enough. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and a slave like his master. So the second L is likeness, that I would be like Jesus. And I, I set that the goal of my life, to be like Jesus. That I would uh, be in every relationship with Jesus, being like him and living like him and talking like him and treating other people like he would. And then it comes down to love. And listen to what it says in John 13, 34 and 35. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So when I have love for you and you have love for me and other people see the love is real, they're going to go, something's different. And they'll find out we're a disciple of Jesus Christ because you can't be a disciple without having him as Lord, seeking to be like him and being like him and loving, especially the church family in his name. So, Jesus, Jesus gave us what's called the Great Commission. It's a great calling. And it's for everybody who's a disciple of his. So you and I, if you are really followers of Christ, if you're really a Christian, if, I love this, if you live your life according to the way, because this is the way. And the early church was called the way before they were called Christians. If you're a part of the way, then the way for you to go is to follow your great commission. And it's found in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and do what? Make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, which literally is all ethnic groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe some of what I commanded. No, <laughs> some of you better be on that one. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. I'm never going to stop doing that. By the way, if some of you may be new to us, it's not popular to do that. But I'm always going to teach you everything Jesus said and call for you to live a life where all he calls you to do, you do. The Asashama. And so he said, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So did you catch the two things I'm supposed to be doing? And you should be doing too to make disciples. How do we make disciples? Baptizing them. If you've never been baptized into Christ by your choice, knowing what you're doing, experiencing Jesus in an all-out commitment, I want to encourage you to get baptized. If you're local, we can baptize you here on our campus. Uh, if you're not local, then we want to encourage you to go through a time of baptism. And here's what I don't want you to miss. Make sure and either take a picture or a video and send it to us so we can celebrate with you. But the Bible says when you're baptized, you're buried with Christ. Going underwater, it needs to be by immersion. Completely submerged, symbolizing you're completely committed, completely His and 
Remember what we talked about last week, but I'll bring it up again now. Dying to self. This is the way you symbolize dying to self. And when you break up out of the water, when you come up, it's a sign of a new birth and being born again and that you've received the Holy Spirit. So it's symbolic of that. But he says, I want you to do two things to make disciples. One, baptize them. And we want to be a part of that with you. Number two, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, not some, all. And so we take the whole Bible and we talk about you literally living out everything it says. And remember, I'm going to be teaching you more on this, but you can do that by following what we call the I-T-E-L, which we'll get into more later. Or you can go back and listen a couple of weeks ago. But, but Jesus said, I want them to obey all of that. And then last week we saw, we're almost out of the review, but you can't miss this. Last week we saw that Jesus said there were three things true of a disciple. A disciple, to be a disciple, you must deny self, you must die to self, and you must follow completely. Uh, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must. Look at that word, must. He must deny self and take up his cross, which means die to self. The cross was an instrument of death and follow me. And follow me. So while this isn't easy, while this at times can be difficult, it is doable. It's possible. Why? We taught on this last week. Because the Father will give you strength. The Holy Spirit will empower you. And the love of Jesus will make it a joy and not a burden. And in 1 John 5, 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. It's not like, oh, I got to do that. It's like, no, I love doing that. Why? Because we're motivated by love. We're inspired by his love. We're compelled by the very love of God, the love of Jesus, that love that he pours into us and showers us with and the love we have for him. So Jesus, though, told a story. This is a story many people don't know. But he's telling a story of who can be a disciple and who can't be a disciple. And I think he's clearer than many people think he would be. Shockingly clear. So what is the story Jesus tells? It's found in Luke 14. And then, by the way, Jesus tells the story. Then he explains it by taking it deeper in Luke 14. So let's go deep into God's word, deep into the teachings of Christ. Luke 14, 16. But Jesus said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, uh, said to him, I bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Jesus said, you know what, I I called people into this amazing relationship with me, this great opportunity to be with me in life, and they started making excuses. The first one says, I'm too busy. I'm too busy at home. By the way, I've heard people make that excuse many, many times. I'll say to somebody, I haven't seen you in in church for a while, or I haven't uh, noticed you were online, and they'll say, oh, well, I just had so much to do around my house. Jesus said, that's an excuse, and it's not a good excuse. You know, I I want you to think about this. 
uh, I have I've been around people who prayed and prayed and prayed for a house. Uh, some of it is people who want to buy their first house. Uh, other people, uh, it's they're looking at and taking a step up. And, and I've even had them come to me and say, Pastor Chuck, uh, we're looking at this house and, and will you pray for us? Or, or we want to find an amazing house. Will you pray for us? Matter of fact, recently, I've had more than one person come and say that. And then, praise God, they'll come back later and go, we got it. Oh my gosh, it's better than we can imagine. Because by the way, you should pray for the home you get. And then not all of them, and hopefully none of the ones I'm thinking of now, they'll come back later. And uh, that's when I'll have that conversation. Hey, where were you? Oh, there's so much to do around our house. Uh, we needed to put in a new lawn. Uh, we needed to, to uh, we, we got a brand new pool, so we threw a barbecue. Uh, we needed to, uh, you know, work on, uh, you know, fixing up the garage. We needed to, and I'm like, what? The house you prayed and asked God for and he gave to you is now more important to you than God? And Jesus goes, no way. No way. By the way, at the end of this, he's going to say, you can't be my disciple. You're out. You're out. You're not welcome now until you get this right. So the first person says, I'm too busy at home. The next one in verse 19 says, another one said to him, you remember he's been invited. And he says, I can't come because I bought five yoke oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And by the way, the Lord doesn't consider you excused. You know what that person was saying? I'm too busy at work. How many people say, I can't serve the Lord because I'm too busy at work? I can't use my spiritual gift because I'm too busy at work. I can't be in a life group. What you're saying is I can't be a disciple because my job is more important to me than Jesus. By the way, again, it's the same scenario. I can't tell you how many people, and by the way, I'm serious I can name names, but I can't, the list goes on and on of people who uh, say, hey, I was praying for this job, praying for this job. The Lord gave me this job. And then they put that job ahead of Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not going to excuse you. That's not a real excuse. That's not a valid excuse. If you're going to be my disciple, you got to love me more than your home. you got to love me more than your work. And then he goes on to say this in verse 20. Another one said, I've married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. In other words, I'm too busy with my family. I, I'm too busy with my marriage. I need to make sure my marriage is okay before I make sure my relationship with Jesus is okay. And by the way, some, it's not a wife, it's your kids or your husband. And Jesus is like, no. You know, again, I know I'm saying it, but it, honestly, it's the same scenario. Uh, I love love. God loves love. I, I am always, when, I, when I'm around the single people in our church, I want them to find that, that person they can marry and share life with. Some of you know names of people because <laughs> here I've shared it. Uh, I'm not going to do that right now, okay? Uh, I've been asked for to give a break on that. But here's the thing I want to tell you is what's heartbreaking is when that person 
we pray for finds that other person and then they put Jesus second or third or to non-existence. You know, they start dating. They get engaged. Maybe get married. And, well, I, I, I can't serve in the church because I'm married. i got to give time to my family. i got to give time. Now, by the way, your family is important, but not as important as Jesus. Your family ought to be a priority, but not a higher priority than Jesus. By the way, some of you, did you know this? That's not okay, and it's not excusable, Jesus says. It's not excusable, and you need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of that. By the way, same thing with the child. I've had couples who've actually said, hey, pray for us to have a child. And we pray they had a child, and that child became their curse in a way they couldn't see, and they weren't even aware of, because now the child is more important than Jesus. And let me tell you, it really bothers me. I'm, I'm, this is holy discontent moment. When you put your child and your family ahead of Jesus, you're cursing your children to live a life where they do not see Jesus as important or matter. And when they don't walk with God later, you look in the mirror. I'm going to get really brutal. If they go to hell, it's your fault. It's your fault. And Jesus is warning, you can't live that way. There's no way that's okay. So how does he sum up the story? I invited these people, and they made excuses. In verse 21, and the slave came back to him and reported to his master. And then the head of the household became angry. Notice Jesus said, I'm angry at this. There's not excuses and accepted. And he became angry and said to a slave, go out at once into the street and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the slave said, master, what you have commanded us has been done and there's still no room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them, compel them to come in so that, so that my house may be filled. By the way, do you understand what Jesus wants? He wants his house to be filled. He wants us to reach everyone we can. He wants us, don't miss this, to do everything we can to reach them, except compromise the message that Jesus told us to give. Verse 24, look at this, don't don't turn away. Look at this. For I tell you, none of those men, none, not one, who were invited shall taste of my dinner. None shall taste of my dinner. Do you know what he's saying? They will not go to the wedding feast. Where is the wedding feast? In heaven. None of those people will go to heaven. Listen to me. Some of you didn't know that. If you don't love Jesus more than anyone, if you don't love Jesus more than anything, you will not go to heaven. That's new to some of you, sad to say, but it's the truth of the gospel that goes all the way back to the beginning. The first teachings of Jesus. They're not going to be there. They're not going to be there. And Jesus is so clear about that. Uh, if you love your home more than me, if you love your possessions more than me, if you love your family more than me, if you love your job more than me, you cannot be my disciple. And there's no mitigation. There's no soft selling this. There's no halfway. You need to know how true that is. 
And as a matter of fact, Jesus wanted this to be so clear that in Luke 14, in verse 25, he then goes on to make it even clearer, to make his truth plainer. And it says in verse 25, Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Those are shocking words. <laughs> and uh, Jesus is, is wanting to make a very clear point. And what is the point he's making? If you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be my disciple, you must love me more than people. To be Jesus' disciple, you must love Jesus more than anyone. You must love him more than people. By the way, he does want you to love your mom and your dad. He wants you to love your husband or wife or children. But he said, if you don't love me so much more that you would choose me over them, he said, you cannot, you cannot be my disciple. And so you and I need to understand how this is true. Jesus is making a point by making the distinction clear. You have to love him that much. And honestly, honestly, I want to say this to you. When you do, you'll be a better husband, a better wife, a better son, a better daughter, a better mother, a better father, a better friend. See, I, I, I know I'm a way better husband to my wife, Pam, when I love Jesus more than Pam. Pam's a way better wife to me when she loves Jesus more than me. Pam and I are better parents to our kids when we love Jesus so much he's first in everything. By the way, that creates something called security. And far too many children are living in insecure homes without stability. But that one thing will give enough security and stability for them to grow up mentally, socially, and, and, and spiritually fit. But you got to choose that. You can't be his disciple if you don't love him more than anyone. Uh, there's a story in the Bible, and you probably do know this one, but let me tell it. Abraham wanted a child. Abraham and Sarah begged God for a child. And they got older and older and older and older. And Abraham was 100 years old when he had his son Isaac. He loved Isaac. He loved Isaac. And uh, when Isaac was probably older, I'm not saying, he, he had probably late teenager, maybe in his mid-20s, or maybe a little closer to 30, maybe 30. But considered young to Abraham. The Lord said, Abraham, I want you to offer your only son, your only son Isaac, on an altar to me. What's so wild in the story, we don't see Abraham say, what? We don't say, why? He gets up early in the morning and says, Isaac, let's go. Now, his heart's breaking. We know that. But he loved God and trusted God so much. He went to a particular place God guided him to. He went up onto a mountain that God told him to go on. And he tied Isaac up and he laid him on the altar with the knife now in the air ready to sacrifice him. And God said, don't do it. I'll provide the sacrifice. In that very moment, there was a ram caught in the thicket, and he offered that ram. But later on, God would provide the real sacrifice, because on that very spot, 
Jesus would be offered up. Jesus would be offered to God as a sacrifice for you and for me. Now, now God actually had given him a promise that Isaac would be the father of many, 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 many people. And he hadn't gotten married and he didn't have children. So God knew two things, or Abraham knew two things. One, God always keeps his promises. And two, when God calls me for to do something, I'm going to do it. So he knew that if he were to sacrifice Isaac, that God would have to resurrect him from the dead because he hadn't had children yet. It didn't make it more painful. It didn't make the test hard, uh, easier. But he did it. And God tells all of us, look at Abraham. Abraham put his only son, Isaac, ahead. Uh, behind, and, and, and he was willing to give him to me. He, he was willing to give him to me. He took his only son, Isaac. He was willing to do that. Why? Because Abraham loved God that much. And all of us are called to have faith like Abraham. And so that's what I want you to know. There's a, a guy named Keith Green. Mo, many of you probably, most of you don't know who he is. He was a, 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 a pastor who, and a preacher and, and a Christian singer and musician. And he wrote a song, and in the song it said this. It was what he was saying about his wife. And he said, he's saying these words to his wife. I told you on the day that we wed that I would rather be found dead than love you more than the one who saved my soul. I'll never forget the first time I heard those words. Pam and I were together. And I said, Pam, I think that's true of us. And she goes, it is. I'd rather be found dead than love you more than Jesus, Chuck. And said, Pam, I'd rather be found dead than love Jesus or love you more than Jesus too. Because we got to, we have to, we must love Jesus more than anyone to be his disciple. And by the way, uh, some of you might say, well, that seems so hard. I'm going to get really honest with you. But for me, it's easy. Not that I don't love my wife. She's amazing. But Jesus is so much more amazing. Not that I don't love my friends. They're amazing, but Jesus is so much more amazing. Not that I don't love my sons. I love my sons. They're amazing. My grandchildren. But Jesus, oh my goodness, it doesn't compare. In a very similar way where I love my friends here at the church, I love Pam way more. <laughs> uh, you guys are awesome, but you don't compare. You don't compare. But here's what I want you to know. And the same is true of Jesus. So Jesus said this, you've got to love me more than people. Then in verse 27, he says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And what is he saying? Well, we got into this last week, but it's worth getting into again because Jesus brings it up again. He said this. He said, you've got to love me more than self. You have to love me more than self. Uh, disciples choose to love Jesus and put him as more important than their desires. That's why your house isn't as big a deal as Jesus. Your job isn't as big a deal as Jesus. Getting a promotion is not as important to you as getting noticed by the Lord being faithful. Nothing should be more important than Jesus, not even you. Not your desires, not your hopes, not your dreams. And Jesus wants you to have amazing hopes and amazing dreams. But those don't compare to your commitment to him. So in his name, we love and care and seek to please him. And interestingly, uh, while we're not to love anybody more than him, he then calls us to love people in ways that are beyond us. 
Because we can only love people in ways that are beyond us when we know him and are committed to him. So Jesus wants me then to show love to those who are in need. Jesus wants me to show love to orphans and widows. Jesus wants me to love my enemy. By the way, stop there. Wow, sadly, a lot of people haven't passed that test. You cannot be his disciple if you don't love him more than self, which means you do anything he wants you to do. And he said to love your enemies. And I want to tell you, right now, there are people who are calling themselves Christians, but they're not. And they're not disciples. You might say, Pastor Chuck, that's judgmental. No. The Bible says clearly, Jesus said clearly, you know them by their fruit. And the fruit of their mouths, the fruit of their social media posts, the fruit of their attitudes and actions shows what's in their heart. And I'm saying, I've, I say this a lot. Some, there may be, hopefully some, hopefully some of you are watching. If that's you, repent. You start praying for your enemies. You start loving your enemies. You quit denigrating your enemies. You quit attacking your enemies. You quit wishing the worst for them. You start blessing them. Matter of fact, some of you right now, you know what Jesus wants you to do? You need to write a really nice letter to that political figure you've been attacking. And you tell him, I'm praying for you. I love you. I see this good in you. You bless them in that letter. You might say they'll never see it. You know who will see it? Jesus. And it's time. It's time to quit playing games with our faith and really being real. Really being real. So you've got to love him more than others. You've got to love him more than self. And, and we need to make sure that's true. I'm going to stop and pause, but it's on topic. I have been so aggravated, angry, hurt, devastated, by how many people who I know who are Christians that are racist. And they're betraying racist attitudes. And you're hiding it, but your words, your words are showing it. Your actions are showing it. Do you know what the church is supposed to be? A place that rises up for those who are being treated with injustice. And when racial injustice occurs, you shouldn't cheer it on. You should not defend it if you're going to be a disciple. Now, there's some of you right now probably ready to click off. Well, just click off and go. Or get real. Or get real. Get real with God. Get real in your commitment. Get real with your walk. See, Jesus could not have been clear about this. And notice how he talks in this section now. He says, for which of you, when he wants to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? So if you're going to build something, know you have the money to build it. Know how much it costs. He goes, otherwise, when he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him and saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. 
So then, so knowing if you want to build a tower, you need to first calculate the cost to see if it's worth building and if you can make that payment. Knowing if you're going to fight a battle, you need to be sure you're, you're ready and strong enough to win that battle that you're in before you go into battle and pay the cost of fighting a battle like that. He goes, so then, none of you can be my disciples. Look at that. None of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions. Ooh. This, believe it or not, is the toughest one for many. To be a disciple, you have to love Jesus more than your possessions. If you're going to be a disciple, you have to love Jesus more than your possessions. You have to love him so much you would give up your possessions. I have a friend uh, that had a very interesting thing occurred. He's a pastor of a pretty large church. At least he was at the time of this happening. And uh, he, he had someone tell him that this guy who was incredibly famous and wealthy wanted to see him. And he was like, wow. Matter of fact, this guy was so famous and wealthy, the word spread all around uh, the office and most of the church. You're going to get to meet him. You're going to get to see him. Other pastors were like, I want to go with you. And he's like, no, 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 I, I'm going to go. He's driving up the longest driveway he has ever been on. On his right as he's coming towards the house as a helicopter on a helicopter pad. The house is enormous and beautiful. And he's honestly and rightly appreciative and taken with the architecture and the beauty. And, and it's pretty awesome. And he goes in and, and he, he meets with this man. And they're sitting there. And at first it went so good. And, and they're talking. And, and then he said, well, why did you want to talk to me? And, and the guy said, I'll be honest. I'm really reevaluating my life. And, and when I was young, my mom taught me about the Lord. And, and I've gotten far away from that. And, and I'm really feeling called back. But I wanted to talk to you about, you know, what it really means to be a Christian. And he wanted, this guy was a business guy. I want to know what it really means to be a Christian. And, and he began to talk with my friend. And, and, and my friend told him the truth of discipleship. You must love Jesus more than anyone. You must love Jesus more than self. You must be willing to deny self and die to self. And you must follow him completely. Completely. And even saying to the guy, is there anything you wouldn't do Jesus would call you to do? And by the way, this man liked that. He liked the straight talk. And then he looked at my friend said, all right, let's get to the most important question. What's it going to cost me? My friend looked at him and said, the answer's clear. Everything you have. Everything you have. And the guy leaned back laughing. Said, all right, I'm in. I'm in. One of the things that wealthy man said is he did not want a God who needed him because the only God that could be real was a God that he needed. And he was willing to give anything and everything to follow him. And he did. He did. Now, I want you to think about that. Uh, because there's a test in the Bible that we're called to take and continue to pass. It's not a one-time test. It's a constant test. But just like Abraham was called to give his son Isaac to the Lord, you and I are called to give a tithe to the Lord. The first 10% of anything we get. The Bible teaches whenever I get income that God, God is trusting me with that income and all of it belongs to him. All my money belongs to God. All my possessions belong to God. 
And, and then whenever I get new income in, what should I do? The first 10%, uh, I need to return it to God. By the way, I'm not giving it to him, it's his. It's kind of like if I bought my grandchildren French fries and I say, hey, give me some of the fries. And they said, no, they're mine. No, they were, they're mine. I paid for them. <laughs> you guys don't have any money. You're broke. If you want more fries, you better be with Papa. You know. But you, when I want some, you better be willing to share. Return. The first 10% is the tithe, which means 10%. The word tithe also means test. It means both. And God says, test me now in this by giving all of the tithe and, as I bless you, giving offerings to me besides of all that I own, that you would give those, return those. And so we need to be people who understand that the tithe is a test. So I'm going to ask you, where are you on the test? Because you cannot be a disciple and not tithe. Now, that part there, some of you are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, it's clear. You must give up all your possessions to the Lord to be a disciple. And if you really are given all your possessions to the Lord, you need to know and you need to rejoice in returning the first 10% to Him. Have you been passing the test? Now, I'm going to get real clear. The Bible says, test me now in this. And whenever I talk on this, I do care about you. Do I want you to be faithful and give to the church? Answers yes. Will that be something that would make our church more blessed? Yes. If everybody was faithful and gave the tithe, would this church be more blessed? Yes. And many of you already know this. Because we would be more blessed as a church, we're blessed to be a what? A blessing. We would bless more people. There's no doubt about that. I'm not going to hide that. Matter of fact, I shouldn't hide it. That's God's economy. That's how God wants the church to work. But let me start up here. Do I want this more for you than I want it for us? I, I know it might be not easy to trust me, but the answer is yes. I want this so much for you. And I know how hard it is. And in Malachi, where it says, test me now, the Lord says, and give the full tithe. And if I, you do, I'll bless you. I'm going to ask you to take the test. Now, I'm not going to ask you to take the test alone. Um. We call this the tithe challenge. It's the tithe test. If you would commit to completely tithe, faithfully tithe for 90 days, giving a full 10% of whatever comes in for 90 days, testing God in this. By the way, is God's testing you if you'll be faithful. If you'll do that for 90 days, two crossroads in an identifiable way, at the end of 90 days, if you don't find God blessing you, then I promise you, without embarrassment, without question, if you email me, then I will arrange for you to get all of that 90 days of tithe back. I promise that. I'll do that with you, and I'll do that for you. Uh, uh, and you know what? I, I want to tell you, we've done this over and over and over again. Do you know how many people have asked for their money back? <laughs> Zero. Why? Because God always comes through. By the way, you might even say, Chuck, man, that's pretty a, a gutsy thing to do. Nope, not at all. Why? God is so trustworthy. God is so faithful. I know it's going to change your life. I know it's going to benefit you, which is what I want for you. So I'm going to ask you to be a disciple and to see every possession you have as God's and to be faithful in giving God offerings and 
being faithful in giving the full tithe to God every time you get income. By the way, the Bible says it's the first thing you do. So whenever you get income, it's the first thing you do is to give to God. And and Jesus wants you to do that. And he warns about how important that is. Uh, by the way, in verse 34, it says this, Therefore, salt is good, but even if one has salt, it has become tasteless. If it has, what will it be seasoned? It is useless, either for the soil or the manure pyre, it, pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what is the Lord saying? You know what? It, it only works if you're faithful. It only works if you're true. And I want you to do that. So what did Jesus say to you? What did Jesus say to me? And by the way, did you know this? Did you go, oh, I knew it. Or did you go, whoa, I didn't know that. But here's the three things. Love Jesus more than others. Love Jesus more than self. Love Jesus more than possessions. That's what he says. Jesus told another story called the Pearl of Great Price. Uh, it's found in Matthew 13, 45 and 46, where it says, again, the kingdom of God is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovers a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Everything he owned and bought it. Uh, uh, Juan Carlos Ortiz is one of my favorite preachers. And Juan Carlos tells the story. He said, I, I want you to know what that passage means, that there was this pearl, this pearl of great price, and the man would sell everything he had to get it. He said, here's what it's like. It's like a man who was, who was actually knew pearls. He studied pearls. He, he looked for pearls, and he, he found out about this one man who had a pearl that was so expensive, it was priceless. It was, in, it was worth more than anything he owned. But he thought, I want it, I want it, I want it. So he goes to the owner of the pearl, and he said, can I see it? And the owner brings it out and shows it to him. And he's like, I've never seen anything that beautiful, that perfect. And he looks at the guy and said, man, I know there's no way I could ever own this. And the guy said, no, actually, you could. And he said, don't play with me, man. I don't have that kind of money. He said, well, here's the deal. If you give me everything, I'll give it to you. And the guy's going, man, it's worth more than anything I can imagine. It's worth everything I own, way more. So he said, I'll make that deal. And he goes, good, let's just make the deal right now. He said, let's start. Do you own a home? And he said, yeah, I do. He goes, all right, you're going to need to sign over your home to me. And he goes, okay, uh, no, no problem. I guess I could live in my motor home. He goes, oh, you have a motor home. That's mine too. Do you have a boat? The guy's like, yeah, well, the boat's mine too. And the guy goes, um, okay. He goes, your clothes are mine too. And then he thought, all right, um, not sure where I'm going to have my wife and kids sleep. He goes, oh, you have a wife and you have kids. They're mine. And the guy goes, really? And he goes, yeah, I own them. And the guy goes, okay. And he goes, one more thing. I own you. I own you. The guy goes, oh, but he makes the deal. <laughs> he says, so you're really ready to make the deal? And the guy goes, yeah, I'll make the deal. And he said, all right, then you're clear. I own everything. He said, yeah, and you own the pearl. And he said, yeah. And he said, okay, um, I want you to go ahead and stay in your house, uh, but I want you to keep it really nice. I want you to take care of it. I want you to fix things quicker. Why? Because that's my house, and I want you to treat it responsibly. But you live there. It's your place to live in. 
and you take my money and you pay the mortgage payment, but you make sure and pay it on time because that money's mine and I don't want you to, to not honor the debt that, that you had, but we're going to pay that off. He said, I want you to keep your car. I want you to keep your motorhome. I want you to keep your boat. Why? Because your wife and your kids are mine and I want you to take them on family vacations and I want you to give them quality time. And I want you to give them experiences that bond you together as a family because you as a family are mine. And I want your family to be great, healthy, filled with joy. But remember, you're mine. And then some of those trips you would take, I want you to go and serve others. Matter of fact, this year I'd like you to take that motor home and, and go down to Mexico with some other families in, in my church. And, and I want you to care for people and build an experience with your children and a legacy with your children of loving and caring for others in my name. And I'm going to call for you to go to Africa later. I'm even going to call for you to go to the Holy Land that I love, my land and meet people there and serve people there and, and get memories there and grow closer to me there. And you can't say you don't afford it because all that money's mine and I just want you to prioritize it. But you're mine. And then right now for this period of your life, once a week, I want you to serve children in your church, my church, because you're mine. You can't miss. That's, that's a holy calling. And I want you to love that neighbor that's driving you crazy. And I want you to care about that single mom at work whose husband left her because you're mine. Juan Carlos said, that's the story of the pearl of great price. And if you haven't caught it, if you haven't, if it doesn't resonate with you, let me tell you what resonates with me. That is the best life you could ever live. It's the life of great and mighty things. It's a life so incredible, it's beyond imagination and beyond description. But it's a life you have to be completely committed to, totally dedicated to. And if someone said to me, I'm not sure I could do that, I'd say, well, then you got to count the cost because Jesus will not let you come if it's not a complete commitment. By the way, you may... I would prefer you to say yes to him right now. But you can't come if it's not a complete commitment. You can't come. Right now, you might say, oh, that's not the description of who I am. All right, let me just get out there. You're not a Christian then. It's time to become one. doesn't matter if you've been going to church all your life. It's time to become one. So how do you do that? Well, I want you to do it by doing two things. One is praying a prayer of commitment with me praying a prayer of commitment with me. And then, if you pray this prayer and mean it, I want you to go to crossroadschurch.family. You can use Google Chrome. You can use Safari, any kind of internet search place or, 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 or internet uh, way to the internet. But go to crossroadschurch.family and I want you to click on I made a decision. By the way, if you're really making this decision and mean it, you'll do it. You'll, you'll find a way to get there. There's a way to get there. And, and go to crossroadschurch.family and click on I made a decision. So I want you to pray this prayer and I want you to do that. And then if you haven't given to God of the income that came in, I want you to go to crossroadschurch.family and click on the one. on, on There's a tab that says give. By the way, without I'm not apologizing that I'm calling you to do it. I want the commitment to be real. So right now, right now, are you ready to say, 
that you're going to be completely His. Are you ready to say you want to be completely faithful? Are you ready to say, I'm ready to be a disciple and I'm ready to be one who lives in the way? Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for anybody who needs to be really true in their heart and true in their life to being being yours. No halfway. No lukewarm. No uh, deceitfulness by having the name Christian but not living it. But really, truly committing to be yours. Knowing that they need to love you more than anyone. Know they need to love you more than anything. Knowing they need to love you more than themselves. Knowing that all their possessions belong to you. That's the only way we can be disciples. You said that's the only way. So I pray right now for some who are ready to make that commitment and make it real. And if that's you, praise God. If it's hard right now, man, I'm hoping for you. I'm rooting for you. May this be a moment you say, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take a leap of faith and do it. Praise God. So pray this prayer with me if that's you. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you've died on the cross for me. And you died for my sins. Jesus, you gave everything for me. And you're willing to give everything to me. So now I'm going to give everything to you. I want to be yours. My relationships are yours. My possessions are yours. My life, my energy, my time, my talent, and my treasure are yours. This is real. And I mean it sincerely. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, praise God. Praise God for you. I am not kidding. Praise God. And if you prayed the prayer, go to crossroadschurch.family and click on that you made a decision. Jesus asked a question. He said, what is a profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? And then he said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And what are you going to find? You're going to find life. You're going to find love. You're going to find joy. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. So as we go, may you go even now, knowing the one who loves you most, following him with everything that's in you, heart, mind, and soul. May you go being his, and may may you know when you're his, there is nothing he wouldn't give to you, nothing he wouldn't do for you, and no problem he wouldn't help you overcome. May you go in that victory, in that love, and in that life. God bless you, and have a great time.